we, I, I blew the candles out because they were melting too fast. But we are actually celebrating the, our, it's our third Sunday of Advent this morning. And uh, our Advent word today is joy. And what I want to do is take a, uh, a little look at the Christmas story uh, with joy as kind of the underlying theme of that, something I realized myself this week. And I love this. I, I love that the more you read, the more you study, the more you really meditate on and think about the Word of God, the more you learn. And I, I've been at this for a little while, and yet God's, I'm still learning. And, and one of the things I realize that I hope to be able to communicate to you guys today is joy plays a greater role in the purpose of Jesus for our lives than I think we understand. So I'm going to pray for that this morning, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Father, uh, would you open our hearts to understand today your desire, your purpose for us to know your joy. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning and talk a little bit about uh, one of my favorite characters in the Christmas story. And I think he's one of my favorite because I tend to identify with him a little bit. Um, but we're, gonna, we're just going to look uh, briefly at, at the life of Joseph. Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The system at the time is a little different than ours. There was a betrothal period, kind of a pre-wedded, pre-marriage period. It's probably not exactly like, but similar to an engagement period that we would have. Uh, You're promised to be married, but technically not married yet. And it was during that time frame that uh, Joseph's fiance Mary, uh, comes to tell him that she's pregnant. Now, that's not, that's not good news, okay? That's not good news. Um, that's not good, good news on any number of levels. Uh, personally, I mean, you can all imagine, you, you ju- you'd be heartbroken. You, you're in love with this person. You've committed to marry them. You're going to spend your life with them. Uh, you've got this vision of the life you have ahead, and then they show up one day and say, well, I'm pregnant. So there's an incredible sense of grief, uh, possibly betrayal, certainly brokenheartedness that that comes with that. So that's all on a personal level, but there's also here uh, a kind of another layer that we don't really identify with in our culture as much. There's a legal level here. Um, Mary, it was was against the law to have to become pregnant outside of marriage. Uh, she would have been in violation of the law, potentially could have been you know, tried, convicted, and possibly put to death for this. And Joseph knows that. And I think as, as brokenhearted and betrayed as he may have felt at the moment, he doesn't want her to have to go through that. So he makes a decision, it says, just to divorce her quietly. He's not going to make it known. He's not going to tell anybody. He's basically just going to get out. I'm going to walk away. So we know, and we'll look at it in a second, he gets a little bit of an uh, angelic heads up to what's really happening. But before the angels spoke to him, he makes this decision. I think it's an honorable decision. I think based on everything on the table, it was possibly the, you know, maybe the, the, the best thing he could have done. But just, I want you to just to think a little bit about Joseph. Think about him right now. 
what's happened in his life in just this recent bit of history, and then what happens next. But after he had considered this, so he's already made the decision, I'm going to walk away. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph is here given uh, kind of the lowdown. He's told, this isn't what you think. This isn't how it looks. It's a little different. Um, So he's given kind of the clarification on what's actually taking place, but he's also given the purpose for that. Why is this happening to me right now? I I just, again, I picture Joseph, okay, he's a carpenter, right? And he's a young guy, cute girl, fall in love, we get engaged, we're going to get married, we're going to have a little little house, white picket fence, carpenter shop in the back, a couple little kids running around, probably a dog. Um, All his dreams have been shattered. Everything has gone out the window. Nothing Nothing in Joseph's life is going to be as he anticipated or planned it to be. I mean, there's this, this news, and then there's this news, okay? But God tells him here, I think very graciously, not only what's happened, but why. He gives him the purpose. He says he will save his people from their sins. That's the why. That's the purpose, God says. He's going to save his people from their sins. Here's the essence of what I want to share today. How we view that sentence, I believe, dictates how we live our Christian life. How we view that sentence dictates how we live our Christian life. I think there's a couple ways to look at this, and one way that I think it's viewed very often is this, that Jesus' coming was, first of all, something of a rescue mission. That things had gone so far astray. The world was so messed up. People had done, made such a mess of everything. God is forced to take very desperate measures. There's no recourse. There's nothing left to do. So he says, I'm going to send Jesus to clear up this mess. And, and it's a, it's a judgment-based, and in some ways it's a fear-based response. We're afraid that God is angry, he's mad, he, and, and, and so his options are either to wipe everybody out, or I don't want to do that, so as a last-ditch last effort, I'll send Jesus to clean it up. Um, I would say this. I think there's an alternative way to look at that statement. John tells us in 1 John that God is love, that there's no fear in love, and that perfect love drives out fear. And we don't need to be afraid. And it's not as though God is so frustrated, so disappointed, so angry, so upset that he's going to wipe everybody out or send Jesus instead. Here's what I think. God sent Jesus to reveal the love of the Father to us. He says, I've got this amazing love, and I've been trying to communicate this love to you, but you guys haven't been able to get it. So what I want to do is I want to to cause my love to become incarnate. I want it to be human. I want it to come down to your level so you can see it and feel it and taste it and understand exactly how much I love you. I I think he wants us to know the joyful love of the Father for us in our lives, and that's why he sent Jesus. And I think that's a completely different way to look at that statement to save his people from their sins. Um, 
God wants us to know how deeply He loves us. And He sent Jesus to reveal His love to us in a fresh way. So uh, I want to pick up the Christmas story, switching over to Luke now, chapter 2. You know this part. It happens just a little bit after, of course, uh, the announcement to, uh, to Joseph. And then they, of course, went to Bethlehem. Jesus was born. And at that time it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. I, uh, I use the NESB there, and I will uh, tell you why in just a second. A couple things. One, um, the shepherds, upon this uh, announcement or this uh, in, you know, manifestation of this angel, these angels, says were terribly frightened. They were terrified. They were afraid. And as you read through Scripture, that's pretty consistent. I, I can't think of any situations, but almost every situation when, when, in which either an angel or the presence of God in some form shows up to somebody, usually it's scary, okay? And on one level, we, we, I think we can understand that, right? It, who knows, man? I don't know. I've, I have said before, I've never seen an angel. I know people have. Uh, I, I might be scared, I think, if that happened to me. I think there's a deeper level here. Not only is the presence of God possibly frightening, but I think this is why it's frightening, is that the fallen nature of man is uh, fearful in the presence of God. Our fallen nature is fearful in the presence of God. It's kind of like when, when, when you're in sin and God shows up, it's kind of like getting called into the principal's office. Sometimes... And I, you know what? I don't like this. I'm gonna, it's like getting called into the pastor's office. You just assume you're in trouble. I told Cindy, hey, come here this morning. I've got to talk to you. She goes, do I need backup? No, no. <laughs> it's like getting called into the principal's office. If God says, hey, listen up, you go, ah, you're afraid. And, and, and it's really because we, we know we're busted, right? Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? Oh, it's so good. Everything's wonderful. And then, oh, they have this little little problem with the apple or whatever it was, pomegranate, I don't know. They have the problem, and then God shows up, and what happens? They're afraid, and they try to hide. Oh, we don't want to see God because we know we, we screwed up. And I think that's human nature <coughs> and our fallen nature to be a little bit fearful of God showing up. So I, I really think, at least on partially, that's what the uh, shepherds are feeling right here. Um, the angels, though here are reassuring to them, and they say, hey, 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 wait, wait, time out, time out, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. We have good news. This isn't bad news. You're not getting called in the principal's office. This is good news. We've got good news, and it's really about great joy. We've got an incredible, joyful message for you today. It's great joy. It's for all people. It's for everybody. And in the NASB, I love this, the closing statement is, glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
the uh, NIV and most of the other translations say, on whom his favor rests. I like this because in whom he is well pleased. God's pleased with you. He's not mad at you. Can I just say that right now? God's pleased with you. God loves you. He's happy with you. He's not mad at you. He, he, he loves you. He wants you to know him and be in relationship with him. And he wants you to have the joy <coughs> of being <coughs> in that relationship. A few weeks ago, uh, we talked about this and we, dis- we defined joy, or at least I, I read to you a definition from Bren Brown's book. She's talking about participants are uh, people that she surveyed for, uh, for a study she was doing. And participants, and again, it was interesting to me, if you weren't here that day, the participants are not necessarily Christians. These are just different people across the board. They described happiness as an emotion that's connected to circumstances. So when things are going well in our life, we're happy, right? Anybody? You know, things are going good, I'm happy. You win the lottery, hoo-hoo, great day. Things are going good, I'm happy. Um, but when things aren't going good, eh, I'm not so happy. However, conversely, they describe joy as a spiritual way of engaging with the world connected to practicing gratitude. So there's an element of thanksgiving. But joy, by definition, is a spiritual way of connecting with the world. Joy is so much deeper than our circumstances. Joy is really the heart of God in us. It's, he, he, God wants us to know His beauty. He wants us to know His heart, His joy, His presence. Uh, what, and so here's the thing. When, when the angel said to Joseph that he's going to save his people from their sins, what, what, God's, what he came to save us from is the enemy's desire to infuse fear and infuse sin into our life and separate us and break down that relationship from God. Anything that gets in the way of that relationship and causes a chasm to begin to happen, that's what the enemy wants to do, and that's what Jesus came to save us from. When, when, when we sin, what it does, it's just like the fear in the presence of God, Adam and Eve, it separates us from God. God says, no, I want to be in relationship with you. I don't want anything to separate that. That's the, what the enemy does. It says he's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole agenda. He has no other plan. It's very simple, very straightforward. I come to steal, kill, and destroy. And part of that, he wants to steal that joy from our hearts. He wants to rob the joy of the Lord from our hearts. Jesus said, I want you to have life. I want you to have a full life, an abundant life. I want you to have a joyful life in me that's not based on circumstances at all. It's based on a confident relationship in a loving father. When, you, when, you're in, when you're in relationship with a loving father, you're free to experience the joy that he has for you. So I want to say this. The presence of Jesus is a joyful thing. The presence of God in our life is a joyful thing. Back to... Um, Luke chapter 1 for a minute. Again, I told you I was going to use the Christmas story as sort of a backdrop for, for looking at how, how important I think the concept of joy in our hearts is to the Lord. So Joseph has a dream. Mary has a dream. And, and the angel visits her and tells her what's going on. And in the course of, of that, he also tells her that Elizabeth is pregnant. Her I don't know, is it is her second cousin or something? I don't know. I can never figure the relational dynamics out there, but they're related. Elizabeth is a lot older than Mary, so she's kind of, uh, you know, her biological clock is ticking. She's past those childbearing years. But God says she's going to have a baby. Uh, and so Mary goes to pay a visit. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried 
to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home, um, Elizabeth's husband, and greeted Elizabeth. I love this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, she didn't leap for joy. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's kind of cool. So first of all, who's the baby? John the Baptist. What's John's job? To tell about Jesus' coming. He's already doing his job. He's still in the womb, and he's proclaiming the coming of the Lord. Second of all, what I like is this. The first human response to the presence of Jesus is joy. The very first human response ever, John the Baptist jumped for joy in the womb when he heard about Jesus showing up. I don't know. I think that's kind of fun. Do you? Uh, Thank you. Help me out. He wants us to be in an abiding relationship with Him. Remember John 15? Bind the branches. You abide with me, I abide with you. We have abiding relationship, right? That's what God's want. He wants to be in relationship with us. Why does He want us to be in an abiding relationship with Him? He tells us. I told you this. I told you this. The whole abiding part. So that. This is why. I told you this so that my joy, Jesus, my joy will be in you and that your joy will be made complete. Why does he want us to be in a abiding relationship? So that his joy will be in us and our joy will be complete. That's, that's the purpose. God wants us to be in relationship with him and to know the joy that he has, his heart, in our lives. He, he says it again. He actually prays for it in John 17. And John 17 is the high priestly prayer. I, I think it's mistitled. I think it's the Lord's Prayer. But... I'm not going to argue. Maybe. He prays for his disciples. He prays for the followers of his disciples. And then he ultimately prays for everybody that will come to follow him after that. And he says again, he's, again, Jesus is praying. So now he's speaking to Father. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world. Why? So that they, us, may have the full measure of my joy within them. He wants us to have His joy in us, the full measure of it. He wants us to think of it this way. Jesus is in this community relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We, I know we don't fully understand it, but just think about it. Three in one, this Trinitarian communal relationship, they're all together. There's an amazing sense of unity and joy that takes place in that relationship. And Jesus is saying, I want what we have here to be in them so that the joy I know in this relationship can be in them as well. He's, he, so so here, here, here's the thing. Um, that, that's the Christmas story, okay? It's not a last-ditch effort to rescue people because things are so screwed up. It's an invitation. It's a welcome into a beautiful, joyful relationship with a loving God. It's a totally different way of looking at it. Everything Jesus did was done in joy. You know that? Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews tells us that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfect of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, for the joy set before Him endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, We fix our eyes on Jesus. We stare at Jesus. We stare at Jesus so that we can see that He who began our faith, He architected, He engineered it, He started it, He wrote it, He will continue us on that faith journey until it's perfected one day. And in that, we see... We see Him. We see His joy. We see that He endured the cross for the joy set before Him. Let me say this. That's not circumstantial. Okay? The cross was not fun. That was not a pleasant thing. There was no joy in it. And yet, it says He did it for the joy set before Him. He understood. Here's here's the deal. He understood the outcome of what He was doing, the sacrifice He was making on the cross, He understood what that would result in. And so it wasn't that the cross was a joyful thing, it's that the motivation behind it brought joy to His heart. You get that? Let me say this. If we can allow joy to become our motivation, the motivation for what we do, it's a game changer. It changes everything. We don't do it out of Guilt, first of all, oh my gosh, I have to do this because God wants me to. We don't do it out of obligation. Uh, you know, obligations like guilt is bad. Obligations like a little better. Uh, I better go do the right thing. No, we don't even do it out of obedience, which is even a better thing. Okay, I'm doing the right thing before God. No, we do it for the joy set before us because we know that the outcome of our sacrifice, whatever we're doing today, is going to bring about joy in someone's life and expand the kingdom of God. Every Tuesday... Um, Whole Foods in Bridgeport gives us food for our food pantry. It's cool. It's nice food. It's, it's Whole Foods. It's organic. It's nice. It's good stuff. Our people love when they get Whole Foods. So every Tuesday morning, I go pick it up. That's on my way into work. It's not a big deal. Usually the order is small enough it fits in my little car, more or less. It's a little bit of a hassle because I have to park quite a ways away from where the loading dock is. So I have this cart that I wheel the food out on down a ramp and then up the driveway, up this, the thing, and there's always trucks and cars blowing by, and i got to get out to my car. And, of course, sometimes it's raining while this is going on. So i got this funky cart that I'm pushing up the street with the food on it to get to the car in the rain. And uh, sometimes the guys from the different departments in the store that put the food on the racks aren't super careful, and so they put it in boxes that the bottom falls out of the box and you pick it up. So you pick it up and it falls out. So one morning, it's raining, and I'm wheeling the car up to the car. I'm not particularly happy about it. I get to the car, and I pick up the box, and the food falls on the ground. It's over the ground. And so I start picking the food up. And I'm in the, the, the stuff is on the ground in the parking spot next to where my car is parked, and this lady pulls in, and she wants to park there. And she gives me this look like, you're in my way, get out of the spot, you're taking up two spots. So, it's good at that moment to consider why we're doing what we're doing. Because the old man, the, the, the fallen man, the fleshly nature was twitching. Let me out! Let me out! It's just feed the white dog, feed the white dog, feed the white dog. I, did, I didn't let him out. <laughs> I just waved and picked up my stuff and got out of the way. Uh, my point is simply this. I had to recognize and realize at that moment, okay, 
I know this is not a fun thing right now, but I know that people are going to be happy this week that they get this food that I'm here getting today. And, and, and I, I can be motivated by the advancement of God's kingdom and the joy that comes from that when I see people coming to get the food and not think about the lady that's mad at me for being in the rain in the parking spot. So I'm just telling you, it's a game changer to be motivated by joy. It, it really is. It really, really is. I will also say this. Um, it's a process. You can't just be there one day. So, look, if you're doing things out of obedience right now, okay, that, amen. Just keep doing it. And sooner or later, God will begin to grip your heart and you'll begin to feel and see and know what the outcome of the sacrifice you're making today really is and where that's going to lead to. And it will, it will really begin to instill joy in your heart. You'll begin to feel a real sense of God's presence and His pleasure in you and His joy in you. And your joy will be complete when you really catch a hold of that. Okay, um, we'll close. I'm going to go back to Joseph for just a minute, though. Um, uh, so again, okay, Joseph. Mary drops this bomb on him, right? Everything's not. I mean, I just think Mary drops a bomb on him, and then the angel drops a bigger bomb on him, right? It's like, what's worse? Uh, my girlfriend's pregnant, and she's out the door. No, now I'm supposed to raise God. I don't know. Just. Uh, did, let me just say, did he believe everything right away? I don't know. All I know is this. We have 2,000 years of history. He, there was no context for Joseph. This had never happened before, folks. Uh, this was all new. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph had a dream. You know what I say? That was a heck of a dream, people. Uh, have you ever had a dream from the Lord? I have a dream, and then I, I try to remember it first, write it down, pray about it, think about it, get some confirmation, talk to somebody about it. Joseph does a 180. He completely redirects the course of his life based on his dream from the Lord. He's going to divorce her quietly. He's going to get out of the situation. And now, not only is he not going to divorce her quietly, he is actually going to carry the shame and bear the scandal of what's happened with her. Okay? Look, no one else is going to believe him. Joseph had a dream. The angel tells him, this is the Lord... No one else is going to buy that story, and no one did. The rest of Mary's life, the rest of Jesus' life, and I would say the rest of Joseph's life, they will carry the shame of what happened. As far as everybody else is concerned, one of two things happened. Either she's out playing the field, or they both broke the law together because they're not married. Either way, bad deal. Bad deal. They're going to bear the shame of this, and Joseph says, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. I will, I will carry the burden. I will carry the guilt. I will carry the shame of this with her. This, whatever scandal occurs, I trust God. And I'll walk it out. And he does it from that day forward. He goes to Bethlehem, travels to Bethlehem with a woman that's nine months pregnant. And you know that wasn't fun. You travel with a woman that's pregnant? Yeah, you got to pee every two minutes, man. You just went to the bathroom. I'm just calling him as I see him. Um, 
All I'm saying is, what? Okay, look, look, after they get there, he's got to flee again from Herod because he's going to try to kill the kid. I mean, his whole life, this, is, this was not Joseph's plan. Okay? What brought Joseph joy? I can tell you this right now. I'm fairly confident it was not the circumstances. I don't think any of this was fun. What brought Joseph joy? He believed the dream. He saw the outcome. This kid is going to save his people from their sins. So whatever I got to go through right now to see that happen, I'm willing to do it. Why did Jesus endure the shame of the cross? Because of the joy set before him. Because he said, as painful as this is, as hard as this is, as awful as what I'm going to have to go through is, I understand the outcome and what's going to happen because of it. So I'm willing to do it today for that reason. And they were motivated by joy. And when we allow the joy of the Lord to become our motivation, it changes everything. Okay, let's do it. 